You're listening to Marks of a Healthy Church, a Sunday school series taught by the elders and deacons of Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Okay, so before we start, I want to clarify something that someone pointed out to me um, from last week. So a couple of times I uh, made the comment that um, you know, without Christ, after this life, that we're just nothing at all. So, I want to clarify that without Christ, um, it's absolutely dis- absolute destruction. So, there's, of course, a mindset that uh, after this life, it, you just kind of become nothing, you fade away into nothing. Um, but without Christ, uh, after this life on earth, uh, it's eternal destruction and hell forever. So, I want to make that clear that it's not that we disappear to nothing after this life. Um, it's, uh, it's apart from Christ, it's eternal destruction forever. So just want to make that clear in case it wasn't clear last week. Um, so I hope that clears anything up if anybody had any questions. So I'm going to start with a quote from C.J. Mahaney. He said, Never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. The gospel is the life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets facets than a diamond, its depths man will never exhaust. So what we want to get across this morning is that the gospel is more than just a, a teaching, more than just a doctrine that we read in scripture and then we continue to live our lives. This is, this is a complete change of our lives that we need to implement into our church because it's the church that is ultimately proclaiming Christ to the world. And that is such a huge responsibility and a huge privilege uh, but ultimately, it's, it's the world that's looking on, on the church, and, and they're going to see the beauty of Christ through the church. And it's such, a bigger, it's such a bigger responsibility than just thinking, okay, this is a great teaching that I'm going to be with Christ forever. This is something that we have that the world is looking for, and it's, it's a huge privilege of ours and a huge responsibility. We get to share the beauty of Christ. It's, it's really beautiful. So we're going to do a bit of review we start. So if you remember, uh, we defined the gospel. So does anybody remember what the gospel means, like the word gospel? Good news. It's good. So good news from God to be proclaimed. So it's, it's worthy of our utmost, um, directly from God himself. And, and um, it's a point of the whole Bible. It starts right from the beginning in Genesis, and we, we see it conclude and then go on forever in Revelation. And it's, it's the entire point of the Bible. And then we unraveled the gospel. So we looked at John 3.16, and we broke apart the different sections within John 3.16. We're first realizing the magnitude of God and what an amazing and powerful and sustaining God that, that we serve. Uh, and then the fact that he gave his only son for us, right? That's huge. He, the powerful creator, gave us his son. And then... Uh, the fact that there are really two discrete options. It's either perishing or having eternal life. There's really only two options at the end of this life, apart from Christ forever or with him forever. And then we started into the gospel of life. So we started with uh, the the need to develop a culture, a gospel-centric culture within our church. Um, This is the idea of not taking any shortcuts on doctrine at all. But we're applying the gospel directly into our church, and it's changing us. We have to create a gospel-centered culture. And that's where we ended. 
So I'm going to start with the fact that uh, we, we are a sanctified church. We're set apart. Um, so we're st- going to start with us being a sanctified church. So Christ gives the example several times through scripture of us being a bride, the church being a, the bride of Christ. And I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Uh, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So from the very beginning, Christ's entire attitude toward the church is one of love. And there's a really cool analogy, which I thought was really interesting. Um, So as most of humanity um, starts with marriage, is it's the the guy looking for that beautiful bride, right? Um, But contrary to that uh, common mindset or common thinking, is Christ looking for his bride didn't he chose the, the bride that wasn't the pretty bride. It's the church that's full of fault and full of sin, full of us, full of people like me. And he chose us, the bride that wasn't that beautiful bride. And Ezekiel, um, he, he describes the nation of Israel um, as one that needed cleansing. So Ezekiel goes on to describe the nation of Israel as an abandoned girl. So God sees Israel as this abandoned girl on the wayside. God rescued and cared and restored for the girl. Um, She became beautiful. He adorned her. Um, But then Ezekiel goes on to describe how this this girl, this beautiful woman, um, eventually turned into a whore. So the the mindset is this, this beautiful woman eventually ran toward other things that were that were that she was trying to seek to satisfy her, and that's exactly what the church does. It's so many times that we're failing and we're seeking other things other than Christ. Um, but but Ezekiel goes on to explain that um, that it's God's grace that kept bringing that girl back, kept bringing that girl back. So ultimately, the, the whore kept failing over and over and over again. Um, but it's Christ that just kept bringing that back, and He does the same with us. It's a beautiful picture of marriage and of Christ desiring us as a bride, um, but so often we fail and we need God's grace. And it's a really beautiful picture. So God ultimately wants the church to be presented in splendor, and that's what he's trying to do for all of us. Okay, so the next point I want to make is that we need to be a gospel-centered church. So we've talked about developing this gospel culture, but how exactly do we do that? We need to be a gospel-centered church first. 1 Timothy 3, 14-15 reads, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. The fact is is that a gospel-centered church is a pure reflection of Christ himself. It's a is a proof that the good news or the gospel is true. Francis Schaeffer, he proposed four things uh, that gospel-centered churches exhibit. I'm going to read them. Um, you can see here, sound doctrine, honest answers to honest questions, true spirituality, and beauty of human relationships. 
And what is the first thing that someone sees when they step through the doors of the church? Of those four, relationships. relationships. Exactly right. We live in a world of complete brokenness, right? And when you look at, just from a relationship perspective, you see brokenness all over the place. And if someone steps through the doors of the church, the first thing that they're going to see in a unified church are those relationships. And that's so important. So remember, we talked about love. If we're showing the true love of Christ among each other, that is such a pure reflection of Christ himself. Um, another thing is that with this idea of love, um, it comes also the idea of transparency. So uh, the church should certainly be a safe place uh, for everyone because it's a place where where we're all struggling with the same things. It's not like we have to put up a facade that everything's perfect in our lives. If we're coming to a safe place, um, to a place where we're all struggling with the same thing, um, the idea of trying to put up a facade to our brother in Christ, it shouldn't exist at all. And when we're all helping each other out with the problems and the struggles and the sins that we all have and naturally exhibit, um, even Paul, right? Paul is saying, he's, he's just, he's so frustrated, right? When he says, oh, I keep doing the things I shouldn't do, and I, I'm not doing the things that I should do, and he's just so frustrated. Um, so all through all of his letters, he's talking about gospel doctrine, um, but he's still struggling with this. He's, he's speaking to, to gospel itself, but he's still struggling. And we all struggle with the same things ultimately, um, that if we can come to, into the safe place and be able to help each other out and admit to each other the struggles that we're all facing, um, we can all be a better picture of what Christ is by the love that we share with each other. A church that ultimately sticks together uh, is, is one that really, truly emanates Christ. So we can go through tough times. Certain struggles can happen in the church. Um, but when we're staying unified together and the world sees that, that unity, uh, we're really showing Christ, the beauty of Christ. And then also I want to touch on, um, I want to touch on the idea of the household of God. So we think of household itself. We know that God is our father, right? And we know that we're adopted children. Um, when we talk about the church here, the word the word is an idea of family, right? And also an idea of gathering as well. So I know there's like a contemporary idea that we can just do church ourselves in our home. We don't need the whole congregation. But the idea of a fellowship of a congregation of believers, it's so important in the Bible. And God, Christ really stresses how important it is that, that we are meeting together as more than just one or two of us in our homes. Uh, of course, that's not wrong to meet together, um, but we need the body of Christ to strengthen each other. Yeah. I think our culture really helps us to be individualistic, and that's contrary to what you're saying in the church. So I agree, we really need to fight this thinking of isolation, and that is really damaging in isolate ourselves. That's a really good point, this idea of isolation, because pretty much you can, you can stay in your home 
and you really don't you don't need any anybody else because you can find everything you want online you can order anything you want you have everything you want basically at your fingertips but we weren't designed to be individualistic we we're designed to be with each other as as a body um tammy my mother-in-law she was telling me about um an experiment they did with babies I think, was it during World War II or something like that? The Nazis put all these babies into, and, into isolation and they didn't experience the care or the tenderness from a mother. They were just um, by themselves ultimately. And a lot of them died, right? Um, because they didn't experience the comfort of another person. And they were given all the essentials of life. We can be given all the essentials of life, but without the full... Um, that full body and that congregation um, mindset. That's not really what we were meant to be. So, a beautiful church. Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Paul here, in the, in the verse previous, he, he tells us, hey, this is how you ought to behave. You ought to know how to behave in the household of Christ. And then what's really beautiful is then in the Beatitudes in Matthew, um, we kind of get a checklist of really how, we're ought to, how we ought to behave in church. So Paul says, here's a way, here's, you should know how to act. Um, and it lays out written scripture what we're actually supposed to look like as a church. So those Beatitudes, um, the poor in spirit, so recognize who we are in Christ. Um, we're supposed to realize that sin is so destructive, but... Um, but with Christ, we can overcome sin. And we're supposed to be pure in heart. So all of our motivations are supposed to be so pure. So, so we get this list of what the church is supposed to be exhibiting. Um, and it's a great checklist. Um, ultimately, the, the world, and I've said this already, the world, despite all of its brokenness, is going to see Christ when we're exhibiting all these gospel-centered church attributes. Um, and this idea of safety and transparency again. Uh, it, it, and I'm going to stress it again. If we come into church with, um, with the facade up of, of everything being okay and we're not struggling with anything, um, we're not furthering the gospel. We're not accurately presenting what Christ looks like because there are struggles and we can love each other and we can support each other. Um, but without the... Without the the transparency with each other and without the love that we can exhibit to each other. We're not showing who Christ is accurately. So during the week, uh, we are bombarded with criticism and frustration and failures and defeat. Um, when we walk into this place, when we walk into the church, the body of Christ, we should have a feeling of refreshment because we can walk through the doors and instead of speaking about all the things that we've done wrong over the week and all the frustration, we can speak about how right Christ is. It's, 
it's the common ground that the believer shares. Because there's, of course, there's social status, and um, there's all the other statuses that can go along with, with an individual. But when you take all that away, um, it's the gospel that unites all of us. And so we can walk into a church, uh, or an unbeliever can walk into the church and, and see that um, all, all the, the weight of the world is pushed away, and we as believers can come here, love each other, encourage each other, um, and know that we have hope in Christ. It is really beautiful. So glorifying church. So I'm going to read again 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So I didn't know what a buttress was. Does anybody know what a buttress is? Oh. It's the support on the outside of the building. Yeah. That's exactly right. So a pillar, we know, usually holds something out, up and proclaims something. And a buttress is supporting something. So does anybody know what, um, what this is? It's uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, those are flying buttresses. These uh, these things coming up here. So the point of a buttress, like it was said, is to support something else. So what these are supporting are the actual walls of the building, because the thousands of pounds of stone roof on top uh, would ultimately crush the building and flare out the walls um, if it wasn't for more support. which is, I think, a really cool picture. Like, think of um, think of how how strong those have to be in order to support something at the top. And I think that's a great picture. Um, Notre Dame is pretty fascinating. H- has anybody been there? Okay, look how intricate and everything is. That was built in the 1100s, like almost a thousand years ago, without like machinery and everything that we have today. It's pretty amazing, eh? I find, I find it fascinating. Maybe no one does. It doesn't look like anybody else finds it. I find it pretty fascinating. Um, so, so Paul says here that we need to be, a, um, that we, uh, as the church, um, needs to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. So, a pillar, let me go back to our slide here. So, a pillar, like I said, is holding something up. So, Paul gives us the idea that we should be holding up the truth. Um, that it's not the church that the, that the world is looking at or everything awesome that the church accomplishes, but ultimately it's the truth of Christ, the gospel that we're lifting up. The world should look at the church and not see a fantastic group of people, but see Christ. That is so important. We can get consumed with everything that we as a church can accomplish, but it's only the, the gospel that the world should be seeing, and that's really important. And then, not only are we uplifting the gospel, but we should be supporting the gospel as well. And we can do that through gospel-centered culture. So a person that walks into our doors, um, they can hear fantastic teaching, and they can hear everything uh, from the mouth of the, um, of, the, of the, not stage, pulpit. <laughs> um, they can hear everything from the pulpit correct, uh, but without actually seeing people apply what they're being taught, and then what, what point is it? 
of course you can speak truth, but unless you're doing the truth, um, people aren't going to listen at all. Yes? Justin, I think it's Mark Dever who says that um, the proclamation of the, the proclamation of the gospel um, makes it audible. The Christians living out the gospel makes it visible. And when you go to Christian communities then, it's not just someone saying something, it's watching how they interact in love for one another that proclaims the gospel and you can visibly see it. And the church is healthy and there's no unfeigned love, there's hypocrisy, and people walk in the doors and see the transparency, it shouts out the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly right. Just like in James when they talk about our, our works kind of supporting our faith, um, without us actually doing something, then what does it matter? It's, it's all just head knowledge at that point, and that's useless. Unless you're on Who Wants to Be a, will, a Millionaire, and that can definitely help you. Um, so, uh, the church, realizing that we're lifting up the gospel, and we're supporting the gospel, um, and as I was looking at the, the Notre Dame Cathedral, so up there is a, up a cross, and so I don't know if it's actually meant this way, but if you picture, like, the main cathedral being the pillar, and the buttresses holding up the pillar with a cross at the top, I don't, I, I don't think that's significant at all, but I thought it was kind of cool. So we can't let anything uh, take away um, the gospel and the visibility that we should be portraying the gospel in the church. The church exists for the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. So too often, uh, church and Christianity, it just becomes a weekend lifestyle. It's something that we do on the weekend. Um, we go about the rest of our lives. Oh, it's a weekend. We do our church lifestyle, and we move on. But uh, it's not just that. It's every day waking up and realizing who we are, which is, uh, which are, uh, it's a broken, um, a broken sinner that was destined for hell. Uh, but now we have Jesus Christ, and we have an eternal hope. Um, realizing that every day, uh, and then wanting to proclaim that. Remember the, the definition of the gospel. It needs to be proclaimed. So just as the pillar, its, it's main point isn't to take all the visibility on itself. Um, and, and I thought of this image. So when you, when you watch the Olympics and you see the podium, or uh, almost like a pillar that those medalists are standing on, you don't remember that, that pillar, that podium that, that those individuals are standing on. You remember the person that's standing on top of the pillar, the gold medalist, or the silver medalist, or the bronze medalist. Um, that's who they're lifting up, and that's who should be on the top of our pillar, is Christ and the gospel. And, um, and then us supporting that, uh, the gospel by, um, by implementing the gospel through our culture. And then there's the idea that uh, we're a chosen church as well. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 16. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So, I don't know if anybody here has heard of essential oils, most likely, right? And um, I'm no doTERRA uh, salesperson or expert by any means, but... Um, 
So we sometimes um, waft these oils into the air through uh, a diffuser, and uh, which basically like kind of puts an aroma into the air and it spreads throughout the house, right? Um, so I, I, I like this because I like walking to a home that smells really nice. Um, and in our home, it covers up a lot of things that don't smell nice. Um, so, but oftentimes, for example, does anybody know what tea tree oil is? Does anybody not like the smell of tea tree oil? I love the smell of tea tree oil. So uh, I see a few people have, sh have um, shook their heads. Um, so some people like that smell. I really, uh, I really like the smell. And then you have those people that just don't like the smell. So uh, picture that um, in your head. And then, um, and then we're going to read this verse again. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one of fragrance from death to death, to the other of fragrance from life to life. So think of the gospel um, as an aroma. So um, the scent that is dispersing, or should be dispersing if we're spreading the gospel. Um, and then there are those that are going to just not like it. So to one, a fragrance from death to death. So everybody's smelling the same thing. But to some people, you're not getting a good response from them at all. And that's just the way it is. The gospel says that it's going to be provocative, and it's, uh, to some people, it's going to be offensive. Um, and then you're going to have some that are going to like it, and they're going to accept it, and that's a great thing. But we need to know that the gospel is going to be offensive to a lot of people, because it is an offensive message. You're going to hell because of what you're doing and what you've done. It is because of Jesus Christ that you're not going to hell. That's an offensive message. So there are going to be two different outcomes triggering two different responses from everyone. So one is either going to be pleased by the gospel or one's going to be provoked by the gospel. There's really only two responses to it. And then that you might be thinking, okay, maybe there's a third response for those that are just complacent to the gospel. But being apathetic is still a response to the gospel. And that's just not accepting it. That's what that is. So we have a huge responsibility to uplift and support the gospel, just as we talked about the pillar and buttress of truth. God's called us to exalt himself and display him through our doctrine and culture. So um, a really cool example is think of who Jesus is through most of scripture. So he's so calm and even keel, right? You think about certain examples like... Um, when he's sitting drawing the dirt. And these, these unbelievably mad individuals walk up to him with this woman that's sinned, and they're furious because they're trying to trip up Jesus. Um, and they have this woman here who's sinned, and Jesus is just drawing in the dirt. And he says some really smart things that just makes everybody walk away because they realize how simple they themselves are. And then you think about Jesus in, during the storm. He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. The disciples run down. Jesus, Jesus, wake up. We're all going to die. And Jesus says, he like probably groggily wakes up and says, calm down. Walks up and just calms the storm. He says, peace be still and calms the storm. And then even when he's arrested in the garden, 
these soldiers come up and arrest him, right? And Peter, who is just so excited to protect his Christ, he runs up, chops people's ears off. He's going for blood. And Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear, and just places it back on the man's head. Like, he's just even keel all the time. Except when he walks into the temple and sees everybody selling things in the temple. And keep in mind that in the temple, sure, they're probably inflating prices and everything in the temple and potentially robbing people within the temple. They're selling things for sacrifice, which is obeying um, Christ, right? Obeying the law. But he's furious. This is, this is his temple. This is his house of prayer, he said. This is my father's house of prayer. And he flips tables. There's money flying everywhere. It says he made a whip. He's whipping people. Like, this isn't the even keel Jesus that we see all the time. When he walks into church and he sees this thing going on, he is furious. And he is angry. And I'm, I'm in the picture people probably just standing aside, just, just flabbergasted at what they're seeing. And probably they're embarrassed and they're awkward and people are just, they're taken back by what they see. Jesus, at the end of that, he says, my house we call the house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. He, the church is supposed to be completely separate from the world, completely distinct from characteristics of the world. And Jesus, he's stressing at that time how important the church is. And we should be doing that as well. Is we need to realize how important the church is by proclaiming the gospel of Christ, that that the, the attributes that we should be showing each other, um, the love, the unity, um, they need to be so important to us. That Jesus has chosen the church to pro- proclaim his gospel. So, gospel gifts. So, there are three things um, that um, the gospel ultimately gives to us as the church. Um, and these things that we can be confident in because of the gospel. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So again, we need to realize our insignificance and know that all power comes from Christ and his gospel. Mark 8.35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Serving the Lord requires full dedication. And ultimately, advancing the gospel is going to require sacrifice. It's going to be uncomfortable. It has to be uncomfortable. Now, fortunately, within our culture, um, the sacrifice or the cost to advancing the gospel is probably embarrassment, maybe. And that's a really big deal to us. But, but you look at in other cultures, um, the cost is death for people. And the fact that we can be embarrassed um, of the gospel is, is a bit wicked, very wicked on our part. Um, but that, that cost is so insignificant. This fear of people that we have because of the gospel, um, it is wicked, but it's so insignificant. Yes? Mind that we have all the time in the world as a church. And, and 
have. I think we'll be surprised. Our lifetime will affect the next generation. That can quickly Very quickly. Relating that to even the second coming. Things are going to get very tough in tribulation. And there's going to be a lot of times we're, we're going to wish, you know, wish we had done more. Exactly right. Exactly right. Like a thief in the night, like he says. You never know when Christ is going to come. You never know when that time is going to end. That you wish you could have just shared the gospel. Exactly right. First Corinthians 6, 16, 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Again, um, Paul brings all of his gospel doctrine that he's been teaching to a conclusion by saying, let all that you, be, let all that you do be done in love. So Christ started with love, we need to be exhibiting that love all the time. And then finally, the hope of the gospel. Um, because of the power and love and courage that we have through the gospel, uh, we have this hope um, that because of the gospel, we can be joyfully defiant um, through every disappointment we endure. It doesn't mean that we have to be happy through everything. Of course, there's um, sadness that comes. But we can know because of the gospel um, that we can endure those disappointments that we inevitably are going to face. And that we can be joyfully defiant toward our own sins and failures. So the church is made up of a lot of believers. Believers are individuals. Um, we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. Um, we're going to sin. Uh, it's, our natural, it's our natural self. Um, but fortunately, because of Christ's grace through us, uh, we can be joyfully defined, um in spite of our sins and failures. And that's the gospel. Um, the gospel is just, it's grace that we were so lost, and now we've been found. Um, and the church should really be emanating um, the beauty of the gospel. <laughs>